Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Great to have you here this weekend. And again, um, I would just echo the whole sentiment about Easter. Uh, people are going to go somewhere. They just need to be, in a lot of cases, invited. And my wife and I, we were actually kind of running into Costco the other night in the, in the falls. And uh, I mean, I just walked right in as soon as I did. Uh, there was a, a life churcher that was there, and she was like, hey, pastor, uh, now what time are the Easter services? I was just like, whoa, 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 hi, how are you? Um, and it kind of startled me for a minute. I said, they're the exact same times of all the regular weekend services, so 4.30 on Saturday, uh, and then again on Sunday at 9 and 10.45. And so it just reminded me again how people are looking to go somewhere, and, uh, and sometimes we think, well, man, there's a special service or something's different or whatever. It's the same times, the same deal. And uh, a matter of fact, if you go to the Saturday night service, you get to meet every, you get to beat everybody to brunch. Just a thought. Not that that's what it's all about, but it's not bad to do it that way. So um, today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter six, Exodus chapter six, and then I'm going to give you multiple scriptures. But then I'm going to go to Luke 22. Uh, which towards the end of the message, and that's really where you're going to want to go. So Exodus chapter 6, and I'm going to get to Luke 22. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, but uh, if you do have a Bible, this is good to follow along, especially when we get to this passage in Luke and in Matthew. I'm going to show you something that I think is um, pretty insightful. And, uh, and so I'm going to hopefully present it very clearly. But we've been in this series on the four cups. And the four cups were instituted... It was a, 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 a part of uh, practicing and celebrating Passover, which Passover was a celebration of Egypt, uh, excuse me, of Israel being taken out of Egypt and out of slavery into freedom. And so even to this day, Orthodox Jews will practice uh, and will celebrate Passover. And, um, and so 3,500 years ago, when God took his people from, e from Egypt and brought them into freedom, uh, they had these four cups. Uh, Exodus records the passage, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, we're going to read it in just a second, where they would read this, and this was God's promise to his people, and the people in taking of the cup was symbolic that they were in covenant relationship, they were in agreement with this. And so we actually see then uh, some 1,500 years later when Jesus is having the last supper with the disciples, which is where we're going to end today in our message, um, they would have gone through this series of four cups. I'm actually going to show you part of that in Matthew's uh, recording of the gospel and Luke's recording of this Last Supper. And so these four cups basically um, show this, who, kind of reveals who God is and, and, and what he does. And we know that that's all fulfilled in Christ. And so we as Christians don't drink four cups, but at communion we have one cup, which is Christ because he's the fulfillment of all of these. But that ideology, that theology of communion comes from the Passover tradition 3,500 years ago. Exodus chapter number um, 6, verse 6 and 7, uh, it says this, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So these four promises from God represent these four cups. The first promise is, I will bring you out. 
Jews would call that the cup of sanctification. The second cup is a second promise is I will free you. That would be the cup of deliverance. The third statement we see here, and we've been talking about this every week. This was last week's message. I will redeem you would be called the cup of redemption. Again, to, the, to this day, Orthodox Jews is how they would refer to it. That's the cup of redemption. And today we're going to talk about the statement, I will take you as my own. They would refer to that as the cup of praise. The cup of praise. So the word praise in Hebrew is a word called halil. H-A-L-L-E-L. Halil means to celebrate, to boast, or to rave. It's where we get the word hallelujah from. And so when you see hallelujah in scripture, it's the root word comes from this Hebrew word halil, which means to have celebration, to have boasting. It's more than just a worship song or it's more than just a word that is said. It's a way of life. It's a way of, that God designed us to live uh, is to celebrate, to, to live in celebration, to, to boast about him and to rave about him. What are we celebrating? Go back to verse number 7 of Exodus chapter 6 that we just read. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. So in an Orthodox Jewish home, as they would take of that fourth cup, they're celebrating the fact, Halil, it's a boastful celebration, it's a raving that God is their God and that they are his people. There's something that's comforting about that. We sing the song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. As a Christian, it is so comforting to know that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. He walks with me and he talks with me. Along life's narrow ways, the psalmist would say. There is just something in this world where everything changes and nothing seems to stay the same. To know that God's word is the same today, yesterday, and forever. That God is still God and he does not change, Malachi declares. And that not only is he up there, but he's in here. He's mine. There should be a celebration of that. That's part of what we do as Christians in worship is that we're celebrating the fact that God is our God and that he does not change and that he is ours. That's what they're talking about. What's interesting about this fourth cup is it's not about a, a personal a one thing. It's, it's about a group. Cups one, two, and three, you're a person. But in cup number four, it's about the people group. At the first, it's talking about God sanctifying me. Then it's talking about God coming in and, and, and restoring me and, then it, and delivering me. And then it's about him redeeming me. But cup number four is about us as a people group that I'm not alone, that it's, I'm part of this family of God. I'm part of something that is larger. This is a thing that you see all throughout Scripture. This is a value that we have as Christians. It, it's, it's this ultimate fulfillment through Scripture is that the pinnacle of living is that I'm living life and life to the full. I'm living this halil life, if you would. Not a hell of a life, but a halil life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you are like, what did he just say? I'm, I'm living this life in celebration. I'm living this life to the fullest. I'm living this life because I am God's and he is mine. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life, comma, and life to the full. 
That's what God intended for us. He intended that halil life. He intended for us to end with that cup of praise, knowing that we are his and that he is ours. But so many people, even following Jesus, it seems like they, they just they settle for less than that. I think people let their past cripple them. I think people let their mistakes hold them back. And I think they spend a lot of time looking backwards instead of looking ahead. And I encourage you, if that's you, you need to let it go. Today, as we end with communion today, you need to make a decision that you are going to practice this fourth cup of halil, of this this feasting, of this celebration that I am God's and that he is mine and that my sins have been taken away, that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. Why beat yourself up? Why do you think God gave us grace? He gave us grace to use it. So don't waste it. Sop it up like a biscuit, baby. Use every single bit of it that you can. Are you guys awake or no? Or is this that very irreverent to you? If it is, I'm really going to disturb you in a minute. I'm just saying, use it. I think the reason why people don't live life to the fullest is they live life to please men. A lot, a lot of people are just trying to please other people. And can I just tell you, there's a difference between loving people and pleasing people. Loving people will many times lead you to disappoint them. Because people want to be pleased. They don't really want to be loved. They just want it their way right away now, like you're a walking Burger King. And that's, that's not what real love is. Read, read, read the Corinthians 13, where Paul talks about what love really is. It's, it's, it's People are trying to... To, to, to run by man's playbook instead of God's playbook. They're trying to please so many people instead of trying to please God. This is what Paul says to the church in Galatia in Galatians 1.10. Am I not now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. What he's saying is, is to try to serve Jesus and to try to please men, that's diametrically opposed. It, it just doesn't work. You're never going to live a fulfilled life if you're trying to please everybody on the planet. You've got to live life for the audience of one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then let everything else fall into place. I think the reason why people don't live this halil life, this, this life of celebration of who God is in them and who they are in him, is that they try to do it alone. We're never intended to do life alone. And I'm telling you, what's interesting to me too is the more technology that we have and the, 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 the more creature comforts that we have, and those things are not bad or wrong or whatever, the more choices of where we go to church and how we go to church. What it does, it, it creates this consumeristic mindset that comes into the church, that comes into our relationship with Jesus. And if we're not careful it really begins to isolate us more and more and more because if I don't feel like going to church, I can just watch it online. If I just need to fit God in, church in, instead of making it a priority, I can just watch it online. If, if, if it just doesn't work for me, I can just kind of, well, I'll get there in a couple of weeks. What happens is, is it's kind of like going to the gym. Uh, you know you ought to do it. You know it's good for you. You know you feel good about it when you're done, but many times the motivation sometimes to go is not always there. But the more you get out of the habit of doing it, the easier it is just to not do it. And here's the problem. The problem isn't that you're not inside a building. Because God doesn't reside in in buildings. He resides in hearts and lives of men and women. 
The problem isn't that you can't connect with God through technology. There's people right now that are watching what we're streaming live all around the world, and they're connecting. There's not, there's not a problem with that. If we thought that it was wrong or bad or evil, we wouldn't do it, right? The problem is, so if, you don't get, if you're not careful, what happens is it brings you closer and closer, and cl- or, excuse me, pushes you further and further and further away from other relationships that will help push you further to, closer to Christ. It will begin to isolate you if you're not careful. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 8 says, there was, a, there was man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. It doesn't matter how much you have. I'm just telling you, we're not designed to live this life by ourselves. The fourth cup is all about being together. It's about being the people of God. So how do we drink from this fourth cup of praise? Well, the first three cups all lead, in my opinion, to this one cup. This is where we find fulfillment. Again, I go back to Exodus 6, 7. God says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. I'll give you a couple statements about that. First of all, this, here's how we do this. Here's how we drink of this cup of praise. It begins with a calling. It begins with a calling. If you're a Christ follower, you've been called to be a part of his family. That's the local church, the bride of Christ. This is not just something for ministers or missionaries or preachers. No, it's for all of us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, God saved us and then called us to his holy work. So God saved you, then he called you. We had nothing to do with this. It was all his idea, a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. He's not speaking to ministers or to missionaries or to pastors or to preachers or evangelists. No, he's talking to you and I. He's talking to people that are, first of all, we're saved, but then we're called We're called to what God's, we talked about this last week. We've been redeemed so to live this life. That's why we're here on earth. We've been called to make a difference. And when we lose our why, we lose our way. We have to always remember, why am I on this planet? The reason why so many people lose their way on this earth is because they've lost the why that they're here. We are called. We are called by God to do what we do. You are called to be Jesus in a lost and dying world. You are called to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. You are called to go into the marketplace. You're called to go into that school. You're called to go into your world and to be the light of Christ. Be a city that's set on a hill. To, 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 to have to be the salt of the earth. You're called. You're not just called to have this holy preservation. You're not just called to be this holy huddle. You are called to go into every man's world and be a light for Christ. Are you doing that? Are you living that way? That's what that cup of praise signifies. That's what it means is that I am celebrating the fact that not only has God saved me, God has called me. He has directed me so that whether I'm on a factory floor, whether I'm a stay-at-home parent, whether I'm practicing law in circuit court, whether, whether I'm in politics, whether I'm a surgeon at Columbia St. Mary's, I am called to do what I am doing. The second statement about this, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. How do we drink from that cup? Is that it stands on a cause. This calling is not just out here. It stands on a cause. This this clarifies that we're not just here to do good things. We're here to make a difference in the name of Jesus. That's totally different. There's a lot of good organizations trying to do a lot of good things. 
Listen, everybody does good stuff today. You notice that? The grocery store, they'll have a, a canned food drive and, a, 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 you know, a Culver's, man. They'll, they'll do things to help feed, feed homeless people. And, and, and the news station, they'll have a phone-a-thon to, you know, to, to help, help with people that are in need. And, and, and you've got this organization, that organization, a lot of great organizations doing a lot of great things. Companies all have that. Many of the companies that you work for, they've got a matching program where they'll actually match dollar for dollar to a 501c3. I mean, there's all kinds of things. But let me tell you something. It's one thing to give a cup of cold water. It's another thing to give it in the name of Jesus. Jesus, when you do what you do in his name and on that cause, it separates everything. And what happens if we're not careful is, is again, there's a lot of voices out there saying, this is good, this is good, and it is all good. But the question is, I mean, I was in the other day going to buy a briefcase, and the lady says, if you'll give $15 to this a uh, fund that helps third world developing nations uh, get clean drinking water will take 25% off your purchase, which was sizable for the price of this briefcase. I didn't buy it, but I just thought, it's interesting. Everybody's in on this. Not anything wrong with that. But, but, but here's my point. What's different than about the church? I'll tell you what's different about the church. Is that we're not just trying to get you fresh, clean drinking water. Is that good? Yes, yeah, a good thing. But if you live this life and you die and go to hell, what difference does it make? I know that's harsh. I told you I was going to offend you later. I'm just saying. But the reality is, the, the, the deal is, it's not an either or, it's a both and. It's that we're going into communities and that we're drilling wells and that we're doing that. But we're doing that with the cause of Christ in mind in the name of Jesus. To open up doors to be able to communicate the love of Jesus. Whether they accept it or reject it, we're still going to do it. It's not a, hey, if you'll get saved, then we'll do this for you. No, 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 no. That's a bait and switch thing. That, that, that's, that's just phony baloney stuff. I'm talking about... A real, I love you because God loved me, and because God was gracious to me, I want to show the same grace, and, I, and this is an avenue. What is your need? Help me. Let me help meet that need. But in doing so, you're going to ask me at some point why. And if you don't, still, I'm still going to do it. But if you do, I'm going to tell you. And if you reject it, that's okay. And if you accept it, that's okay. But I'm doing it unto him. That's how we live our lives. That's what we do together. That's what we're called to do. That's why we're not just another group. Um, Acts chapter 20 verse 24 says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by our Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news and the wonderful grace of God. So again, it begins with a calling. It stands on a cause and it spreads from me to we. I think this is important. It spreads from me to we. We are designed to make a difference together. We are designed to make a difference together. We are the body of Christ. Nothing works like the local church works, and a local church works the way a local church is designed to work. And, and Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. Woe to the man, the Bible says, that falls, and no one hears him when he falls. Again, we see this played out in missions. Together, we can pull our resources together and do things change people's lives we can build schools we can we we can build orphanages we can we can get behind missionaries and 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 with hundreds of thousands and even millions of dollars begin to change villages and change cities and plant churches and do something that doesn't just last today but continues to to basically just repeat and reproduce itself on and on and on youth group 
Those of you that have teenagers, thank God for Life Church Youth, amen? Because you got an, one, you got a place to drop your kids off on Wednesday night, but two, your kids are coming together, and together they're learning how to serve God. Together they're learning how to make a difference. Together they're learning that they're not alone. Together they're learning that somebody cares. Together they're hearing another voice besides yours, mom and dad, that are confirming what you're teaching and training them. You're it. That youth pastor, Nate and Christian, they're just supporting. They're just your supporting cast. Pastoral care. Where are people, man? What, I, I'm, I'm, needing, I'm needing help or I'm, I'm in the hospital or, or, or I you know, just had a baby and I'm at home. How many times has somebody from Life Church brought a dish or, or, or made a phone call or showed up or helped do this or helped do that? Why? Because we're the church. And I hear people from time to time say, well, nobody did that for me. And I always ask this question, are you in a life group? Well, no, I don't have time to be in a life group. That's how community is formed at Life Church. There's close to about 3,000 people that call Life Church home. There is no way on God's green earth we can keep up with everybody. But if you're in a life group, we can. Not that we're trying to keep tabs on you. We're just trying to here to serve you. That's how we serve you. You're in a life group, and, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're in the hospital. Those people in your life group, man, they're going to care. You're in a life group, and something begins to happen in your home, and your marriage with your kids. Those people are coming around and praying for you. You're in a life group, and you lose your job. And need some help, that's what they're there. You're in a life group, and all of a sudden, man, you, you've just had an accident, and, and you need someone to help you with your driveway. That's, we're here to do that in a physical sense, in an emotional sense, in a social sense, and very much so in a spiritual sense. Again, it spreads from me to we. So I, I want to land the plane today, and I want to show you something in, in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, how all of this connects with communion as we take communion on this Palm Sunday weekend. We've been talking about these four cups for four weeks, and I mentioned how all these Jewish four cups tie into this Christian tradition of communion. I want to kind of connect the dots. In Matthew chapter 26 and Luke 22, it's documented the Passover meal that Jesus has with the disciples. And here's what I want to help you with. Matthew is a tax collector. He's an accountant, if you would. Uh, He's very detailed, right? Most good accountants are. Luke is a physician. Again, both these men are educated, very thorough. When you read, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, When you read the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, you get a very thorough, it's almost like here's the minutes of the meeting. Here's kind of the point by point what happened. John is more like a theology of God is the word made flesh and God loves you. And we get John 3.16 and we get all these great passages going. We get these great big ideas. But when we read Luke's gospel and we read Matthew's gospel, we get some detail. If you read Matthew chapter 26, you read Luke 22, it gives us the account of the Passover. So the Passover, these are, these are Jews, right? The, the, all 12 of the disciples and Jesus, they're Jewish men. Jesus would have been a rabbi. And so the reality is, is he would have taken those four cups and would have walked through that whole process of what we've been talking about. It would have been fitting. That's why they were there. See, they don't know that Jesus is about to die for the sins of humanity. They don't know that everything's about to happen, what's about to happen. They they don't know the rest of the story. All they know is that it's Passover. It's time for celebration. So go find us a place that we can do this. And when they come together, Jesus begins to fully kind of unveil the plans to these guys. Because when they leave there, they're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going to ask them if they can pray. When they leave there, Jesus will be led away in chains. And he'll be taken to, to to the high priest's house. And he'll be shuffled back and forth across Jerusalem until he will eventually be, carry the cross and be crucified for the sins of humanity in Golgotha. 
just a few hours later. But at this point, they're just celebrating Passover, and they're getting together for a meal, just like you would for Thanksgiving or for Christmas dinner or for Easter brunch. That's what they're doing. And he would have taken, they would have began the meal, as would have been the custom, with the first cup, which is the cup of sanctification. And then they would have eaten the bread. And Luke records it this way in Luke 22, verse 19. And then he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. This would have been different. Yes, they would have had the cup. They would have eaten the bread. That would have been traditional. But he's now giving symbolism to what's happening in those moments. Then they would have read what we've been reading in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. They would have read it from the Torah. They would have read it from what we would call the Old Testament. And, and, and they would have, it would have been God's promises to his people. And they would be partaking of these cups one by one, in covenant with what God's saying. Saying, God, I believe that this is you, and, and, and I'm, I'm in alignment with this. So then they would have taken the second cup, which would have been the cup of deliverance. And then they would have eaten the Passover meal. That's what have been the custom. And then they would drink, after the Passover meal, the Bible records that they drank the third cup, which would be the cup of redemption. This is the third time the cup is passed. Luke chapter 22, verse 20 says, And in the same way, after supper... Again, this would have happened in a very, this is how it would happen even to today. He took the cup, and it's important to understand that that would be the third cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Matthew records this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, 28, 29. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said it, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness, for, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. For I tell you, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom, until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. After that cup, they would have read what we just read today, verse 7, that you will be my people and I will be your God. And they would have drank the final cup in Passover in celebration. According to Scripture... So just work with me here for a second. It doesn't record, it records three different drinkings. It doesn't record a fourth. What I'm about to tell you is, is just my own theological reflection on the passage. But I think theologically it holds a lot of water. Because after supper, that's when they would have drank the, the, at the Passover meal. That's The third cup was always drank, even to today, after the meal at the Passover. It doesn't record them drinking of another cup. Matter of fact, Jesus, remember what he just said in verse 29 of Matthew 26? I tell you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. If the fourth cup is a cup of celebration, that God is our people and, I, and we are his. Communion is the ultimate table. All of us who call the name of the Lord, we sit, we put our feet under the table of communion. It's the, it's the place where we come to the table of God. We know that when this world is over and God establishes the new kingdom, that that first thousand years, it will be called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the ultimate feast. Again, that's when we'll drink this cup together with Jesus. And how fitting is it that the next time Jesus drinks that cup, that fourth cup, it's when we truly are his people. 
and he is forever our God. Hallelujah. Celebration. Praise. Hallel. Truly is what it's all about. Some may say, well, but they could have drank the fourth cup and you're being sensationalizing. Maybe. I like my story better. We don't know. You can take it any way you want to. But here's what we do know is that there's coming a day when we will do that with him. And from now until then, he asks us, every time we take of the bread and every time we drink of the cup, to remember his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us for the remission of sins, and to do this every time as we come together in remembrance of him. And so we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we've been reading about, these four cups, we drink one cup and one bread, symbolizing his death, his life, his burial, his resurrection, until he comes. And we drink that fourth cup together.